Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. It's August, and in a normal year, that means back-to-school shopping for clothes, book bags, and lots of classroom supplies. But this year, parents and teachers have been left wondering whether it's even safe to be inside a classroom because of coronavirus. Today, where we live, we talk to the leader of Connecticut's largest teachers' union about how its members really feel about going back to school. We'll also hear how local school districts can make remote learning more equitable. Columbia University's Center for Public Research and Leadership has developed guidance for Connecticut educators. The center's executive director, Elizabeth Chu, will join us with more. That's later. But first, I want to welcome back to the show Jeff Leake. He's president of the Connecticut Education Association. It's the state's largest teachers union, as I've mentioned, and he's a longtime educator. Jeff, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. You can also join our conversation, especially if you're a teacher or school staff member, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, I mentioned, Jeff, that this is the time of year when families are, are getting ready to go back to school, including uh, families of teachers when they're thinking about um, getting ready, the classroom ready. This year, a lot of uncertainty. I know that your union did a survey of your members in mid-July. So tell us what that survey found. So our survey was a, a very large survey of uh, over 16,000 of our members uh, responded to it. And uh, the the results were kind of startling in a way and yet in another way, given everything that's going on, uh, fully understandable. So, uh, you know, un- un- unfortunately, even though I'm sure a lot of work and thought went into it, um, they strongly opposed uh, reopening it at full capacity as was the prime objective, it seems, of the, uh, of the state's plan. Uh, Again, mostly because we were concerned about uh, can we put in place the necessary safety precautions required to keep students and educators safe. We we know that it's a Herculean job. We know that it's going to cost money. And that's the the clarity that we're looking for. Uh, We appreciate the fact that the governor uh, says he has our back. Uh, but we need to uh, kind of see exactly what that means in terms of making sure uh, the necessary resources are going to be there if we bring students back uh, in any fashion, whether it be full time or part time or, or whatever. Hmm. So let's talk more about your members again. And when we think about public health and safety concerns, uh, your members want to see what in place before schools reopen, if they do, if they're able to, related to our, our cases in Connecticut. So cl- clearly, right now, we're, we're looking to make sure that at least we are following CDC guidelines. And, and the CD, CD, CDC guidelines, excuse me, that we're talking about are one, masks. It's becoming more and more important, more and more obvious to anyone that's looking at this, that mask wearing is a significant 
contributor to safely uh, con continuing. The second piece, and the, and the definitely more difficult piece in most schools, is the six-foot uh, uh, distance um, uh, distancing that, that needs to be in place. And again, uh, as we look at the literature and what people are saying, that's still a key feature of safe reopening. And then finally, especially in some of our Connecticut schools, uh, the issue has risen as we know more and more about how uh, this virus is in the air and so forth, is the condition of air handling in our schools. Meaning that um, too many of our schools, even before the pandemic, uh, didn't have healthy uh, air systems in their schools. And clearly this is going to be an issue as we try to reopen and get people back into classrooms uh, for the fall. When I was looking at your survey, Jeff, members, nine out of 10 of them want to see masks on all teachers, staff and students. But the but the change in that is when educators think about, is it possible to get children to wear masks all day? Can you talk about that? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I taught elementary school and then eventually graduated to middle school in my teaching career. Um, so I am somewhat uh, familiar with that. I, I never taught the lowest grades of uh, kindergarten, first or second. Uh, but but uh, we, we know that's going to be very difficult for children. Uh, we know, especially of that age, uh, we know there's going to be a struggle. <laughs> it's going to be a struggle for, for some time, probably, if, if we if we come back to uh, in-person learning. But everything that we're reading, uh, and again, my, my leadership team at CEA is, is reading stuff that we never thought we would have to, but mm -hmm. we wanna make sure that we are providing the guidance uh, and, and actually the mandates in some cases to say, this is how we might consider reopening schools. I will say this to you, uh, Lucy, that, over the weekend, uh, both our executive director and myself are, were looking at some research that indicates that um, even though Connecticut's in a great spot right now, we may have to re-examine our support for even a hybrid uh, plan, uh, at least as we begin the school year. Uh, we're not positive about that. I'm not you know, putting anything out there right now, but, but, but things that are coming to our attention right now are, are more and more concerning as we move forward. <clears throat> so tell me more about what concerns you. Are you looking at rate of transmission creeping up in our state? Are you worried again about uh, what all of these different studies show in terms of people being indoors, even if they're wearing masks? When you talk about ventilation, we know that school buildings around our state, depending on where what towns we're talking about, some are new, some have better ventilation than others. Right, right. So uh, both Don and I found uh, uh, two new studies over the weekend that reached the same conclusion. Uh, young children can readily transmit COVID-19 and uh, there may be uh, evidence of significant drivers of the spread of the pandemic. Um, they confirm that children have the ability to contract and spread COVID-19 to both other children and adults. I, I think it was in Indiana uh, school opened and, and, on, and on day one, uh, somebody had the disease and they shut the school right down again. Then there's that whole uh, situation with the uh, camp in, I think it's Georgia, uh, again, where uh, I, an, an enormous number of, of participants there uh, uh, contracted the disease in a very short period of time. So, you know, 
there's <clears throat> conversations out there about how well children haven't been spreading the disease. And so, no, <laughs> they've been out of touch with everybody since March, whatever the date it was. And uh, so clearly they have not been. But if we in reintroduce them uh, into our schools, <clears throat> um, there's significant uh, opportunities to be spreaders and to contact the disease themselves. And, and we're not we're not saying we need to have a completely risk-free environment, but we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to uh, highlight the fact that uh, in order to get kids learning again, they need to have uh, safety as the highest, highest priority. You're hearing Jeff Leak again. He is president of the Connecticut Education Association, known as CEA, the largest teachers union in Connecticut, as we talk about how its members view whether schools should reopen around our state. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Jeff, uh, clearly there's so many studies now, and uh, there's so many articles, and we hear from so many different public health experts. It, it's really like drinking from the fire hose and it, it leads to confusion you know someone will say well I heard this or I read this and someone will say well I heard this and that refutes what you're saying and I'm wondering when we think about how certain daycares have been open throughout this uh, since March at the start of the pandemic here in our state and they've been able to take care of young children in different settings uh, smaller class sizes and I'm just wondering like do we know anything about how the way that there have been precautions in daycares around our state, how that might help uh, when we think about how schools should reopen? So, so clearly uh, the, the news about being able to uh, open uh, daycares and the fact that the disease spread in those tiniest of our, of our uh, citizens uh, and youngest of our citizens is clearly good news. Uh, and, and it does probably say something about the fact that um, um, you know, we, we, we can look at that as a possible model, but, but again, you know, again, in, in our understanding, many of them opened with significantly lower numbers of students. Uh, I, I believe that just last week, perhaps, uh, I, I think they've gone up to the ability to have 15 students in, in, in a, in a, in a uh, environment, but many of our, <laughs> of our schools, couldn't even begin to get to that number uh, um, uh, as we move forward, perhaps even with a hybrid plan. But but we're hoping that you know if if that's where we move, uh, that can be that can be done. If it, you know, I, I was in a classroom over, uh, I think it was last Thursday, uh, spaced just three feet apart. That, that that's almost like normal spacing in the classroom, mm -hmm. and it does mean that uh, the six foot. Uh, um, distancing that's required in the, that is suggested in the CDC guidelines could not be met uh, in, in that situation. And again, for our youngest children, if at least you kept them six feet apart, then if the mask came off for a few seconds or a few minutes or something like that, uh, in between mass breaks, which are going to be more and more important, get kid, getting kids outside, uh, being able to take off their mask for a while and so forth, I've, I've been in a couple of situations last Thursday during our car parade, for example. I mean, wearing a mask is not the easiest thing to do for a couple of hours. So, uh, you know, it's um, I, I get it and it's going to be a challenge. 
uh, for all students, I think, not just the youngest ones to, uh, to, uh, to say, you know what, this is what you got to do. I, I just got something from uh, uh, Principals Association with a uh, kind of a, a tip sheet for parents to say, Here, here's how you can explain why this is so important, <laughs> which we hopefully will be providing to our, uh, to our members. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Jeff Leak, about the messaging that's come from uh, the governor's office, Governor Lamont, as well as the State Department of Ed, Commissioner Cardona, because uh, as you had referred earlier, and we know that in the beginning, it was the education department and the governor saying, we want to see schools reopen this fall. And then just the other week, uh, they are now saying that schools, uh, definitely school districts have the final say in terms of whether they think it's safe to reopen, uh, maybe a, a hybrid plan, as you've mentioned, this idea of, of having kids go to school maybe a couple days a week uh, to make sure the capacity is lower in schools. That's a possibility. But I wanted to play a clip from a, a recent press briefing uh, where Governor Lamont stressed that, you know, he still wants to see in-person education to be available, if at all possible. Uh, this is a clip A2, Kat. If the metrics are low, the infection rate is low, and the folks like Zeke Emanuel says it's safe to have in-classroom learning, I want you to have in-classroom learning as a part of your um, educational um, opportunity there. And he's again referring to Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, who he had speak at a press briefing last week. He's the chair of the Department of Medical Ethics and Health Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. He's saying that looking at the metrics as well, Jeff, that schools could reopen this fall. I mean, how do you respond to that? Again, what what we've said from the beginning is is not a hundred percent, not a hundred percent of the students, a hundred percent of the time. That that's been our clear messaging from the start. We have listened to, talked with uh, both the commissioner and the governor about this. We had a meeting last week with a representative group of our teachers from across the state, about a little less than twenty of them, I think, with the governor. Um, our teachers are still concerned. We we, we get. We get that we're still looking at the metrics. How are the metrics going to be uh, uh, decided upon in the very end? What I mean by that is when when are we going to make the final decision about about um, uh, whether the schools are going to be able to have any in person? Um, what will be the metrics if we get there to uh, saying, okay, this class has to stay home for two weeks or when do we shut down a whole school because Clearly, from the beginning of this pandemic, it, it, it's not the fact that um, there, it's clear sailing at the beginning and then all, all of a sudden something breaks out. I mean, you got to keep on top of making sure that we know exactly what's going on and we don't have a testing procedure uh, in the state's plan right now uh, to say, OK, we know that there may be something happening here. Let's keep an eye on it and let's do the best we can. Mm-hmm. Our members. Uh, they want to get back in contact with their students in some way or another, clearly. Um, but they're also extremely concerned that uh, we, we need to pay the highest attention to the safety. Um, and we want to make sure we understand to the best of our ability um, exactly how decisions are going to be made as we, uh, as we continue to move forward. Um, I, I, I heard that, that um, uh, information last week as well. And yes, we hope that we can do that. However, as I said, 
uh, over the weekend, both uh, both Don Williams and I were taking a look at some of the same studies from across. And it looks like even in those places where uh, schools have opened, not many countries uh, have opened schools nationwide with success without having to kind of um, take a look at what was going on, shut them down for a while and so forth. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you've heard of some of the ones that are going on across the uh, across the uh, world and um, mm-hmm. we're, we're concerned. Um, so anyway, and, and all of those places, almost, by the way, um, have better metrics for the community at large. And I and I'm I am so proud of this governor in terms of where we are as a state right now. We want to make sure we stay in that very safe zone that we seem to be in at the moment. You bring up two points, uh, Jeff Leak, that I want to make sure that we stress. You'd said that when will the decision be made based on the metrics? And that's really important when we think about all of the different school districts in our state that are surveying their teachers and staff to find out who is comfortable coming back to the class if indeed we're able to reopen. Your survey also asked your members uh, if they are high risk or care for someone who is. And what did it find? It finds that many many of our staff members are are, are high risk, um, uh, either age related or health related themselves. They have uh, uh, conditions that uh, put them at higher risk. Uh, uh, and again, um, you know, this isn't like the the normal flu that goes on where you know you, you stay home for a while, a couple of days, or even a, a week or something like that, and then you bounce back. This virus, if if it gets to certain people. Um, ends up, unfortunately, in terrible, terrible uh, conditions. And we're trying to make sure that uh, we don't lose a student or a teacher in Connecticut to, uh, to this virus. You also brought up testing, this idea that uh, there should be enough tests for school districts uh, to uh, test staff and teachers and and students if needed. Right now, that system isn't in place. You know, talk about why this is problematic when we think about, you know, we may be able to reopen some school districts. And then if someone is sick and needs a test, that thinking about these cohorts and how long it takes to find out if a test is positive or negative, Jeff. Those are clear, clear obstacles to uh, our members feeling comfortable and parents feeling comfortable about what's going to happen should we bring uh, students back into the school building. Um, the, the, the testing situation, the testing delays are are almost unconscionable um, and without getting too political here, uh, clearly a failure uh, of the national government, uh, I, I think. So uh, what we've got to do here is do the best we can. Uh, we know that we can't test every single kid every single day, as some of our sports team uh, are, and finding out that, oh, wow, something's going on here. Uh, we know that can't happen, but we've got to figure out a, a way at least that we try to keep an eye on this and we try to keep a lid on it. Uh, we, we, we propose in our plan, by the way, that at least we do temperature checks, mm-hmm. um, which again, I, I get that some people are asymptomatic and, and, and aren't going to show symptoms such as uh, high fever and stuff like that, but at least we could get a, um, uh, a handle on those that do and, and make sure we're paying special attention to them. The other issue that comes out here is that in way too many schools in Connecticut, 
There is not a nurse on, on, uh, in place every single day. Who's going to handle these kids that perhaps do have a, have a high fever? Maybe they don't have the, the virus, but, but what is going on with them? Um, it, it can't be up to the school secretary to say, okay, park yourself over here for a while while I try to figure out if I can contact your parents and stuff like that. It, it's it, clearly the resources that need, that we need, uh, nurses, uh, custodial staff to make sure the building stays clean, uh, social workers and counselors to deal with those kids who are truly, truly uh, bothered by what they've gone through over the past four or five months. All of these need to be in place before we say, let's, let's do this. You're hearing Jeff Leak, president of the Connecticut Education Association, CEA, the largest teachers union in Connecticut, as we talk about how uh, schools are thinking about uh, reopening, whether a hybrid plan may be a better option, parents and teachers, again, a lot of anxiety about what to do in just a few weeks. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, Jeff's going to stay with us. Uh, after the break, we know uh, through the reporting from the Connecticut Mirror, one out of four students in Connecticut did not participate in online learning last spring. So how can school districts fully engage students if schools must be remote this year? We hear more, we hear more after the break. We also want to hear from you. Are you a parent? Are you a public school teacher? How do you feel about the next couple of weeks and the decisions that you're going to have to make? Again, you can join us 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. This year, the back-to-school date's harder to pin down because no one knows how coronavirus numbers will look in a few weeks in our state. And not all teachers and staff feel safe going back into a classroom without specific public health and safety measures in place. We heard about this earlier with my guest, Jeff Leake. He's president of the Connecticut Education Association, the largest teachers' union in Connecticut. Now, school districts must also have online learning plans in place. Now, last spring, the Connecticut Mirror reported one out of four students didn't participate in online learning. So how can districts work to fully engage all students this year? Joining us now on Zoom is Elizabeth Chu. She's executive director of the Center for Public Research and Leadership at Columbia University. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. You can also join our conversation, especially if you're a teacher or parent, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So Liz, uh, we were talking about how this past spring, everyone had to shift quickly. And uh, because of the pandemic, when we think about how educators need to plan for this coming year, your center at Columbia University was already engaged with educators here. Tell us about um, how you've been looking at remote learning. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, so we started working with a number of members of the steering committee of the Co Connecticut College and Career Readiness Alliance that's hosted by Connecticut Voices for Children and the Connecticut State Department of Education back in June. Um, and at that time, the hopes were high that we would be able to open the school year with a substantial number of kids coming back in person and doing that in a safe and healthy way. 
Um, and there was also a great amount of attention being put on how to uh, increase access to devices and internet connectivity, sufficient broadband for kids across the state. And with this steering committee group and a few other education leaders in the state, the Superintendents Association realized that um, though we hoped it wouldn't be the case, there was a good chance that distance learning would be a reality in the coming school year. And with all of the attention being paid to getting kids back in a safe and healthy manner, um, there needed to be some attention put on what would distance learning need to look like if it were going to be um, the primary way that kids were getting their education services in, uh, in the coming academic year. So we engaged um, educators, family groups, advocacy groups, uh, the union members, um, the state department, uh, education nonprofit leaders across the state and started to take a really close look at what worked well across the state and also nationally in terms of distance learning and come up with a model plan that um, folks across the state could use if and when distance learning became a reality this year um, and hadn't had enough time over the course of the summer given all of the other complex challenges that they were trying to face and figuring out how to get back in person, they could use it as a starting point. And so that's what we put out, um, a model plan that uh, we're hoping district leaders can use, uh, download off the internet and, and tailor to their circumstances so that they will have um, a uh, full, full idea of how to get back um, into high quality, equitable distance learning, if that is a reality. Mm. So when we think about distance learning, we've heard from the commissioner, we've heard from parents, distance learning doesn't work for everyone, especially if we're talking about a child uh, with disabilities or even children that uh, maybe they're dealing with trauma at home, uh, Liz, or uh, they just need to be in person because of, you know, different issues going on. So how, do, how does your plan address the fact that sitting uh, remotely, uh, not in a school building, isn't the best fit for everyone? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a great question. Um, and one that we really wrestled with and had lots of conversations with people across the state to try and figure out uh, who tackled this well in the spring and what can we learn from it. Um, one thing I'll say about the engagement issue when you talk about the um, troublesome engagement rates from the spring is that we do believe that there are a substantial number of kids who were not engaged in the spring who could be engaged in high quality distance learning if it starts out on a strong foot with high expectations and with sufficient structure and consistency, which we know from in-person schooling is so critical. Um, to having things go well. There's so many things that translate from the in-person setting to the distance setting in terms of principles and design qualities. Um, and then we also, you'll see if you look at our plan, we do recommend that the students with the highest IEP needs um, have the option of being served in person. You know, we spoke to uh, special education coordinators from across the state who told lots of stories about um, the student who is deaf and blind and learning to read Braille and with the available technology, um, that student just cannot learn at the rate that they're hoping that student will learn at in the distance learning environment. So we do recommend that a, that's a very small set of the population would be served in person, even in a distance learning environment. Um, and then we also recommend that districts take a look at other students in their um, district who 
may have substantial risk if they go to distance learning. So that would include, for example, students who are experiencing homelessness, uh, maybe as you just mentioned, students who have trauma in the home and figuring out who those students are for whom um, the school building is a really important source of safety and wellness and um, providing those students the option to be served on site. Um, and I'll just say that one crucial difference here um, between what I'm talking about and um, the hybrid or the blended learning that, that you were speaking with Jeff about is that the possibility here would be that those students are doing distance learning on site, but they are not engaged in live instruction on site, which is a very different ask of um, school personnel. Jeff Leake, I wanted you to respond uh, first uh, to what we've been talking about specifically. Again, this idea that that some students who need uh, some kind of instruction, whether it's uh, not in their home, but maybe in the school building, but not necessarily live instruction. How would that work? Well, uh, you know, we, we are happy uh, to be uh, part of the uh, group of folks who are saying, you know, this is uh, ec excellent uh, thoughts about how to move forward in, in distance learning. And, and we fully support uh, the work that has been done at Columbia and so forth. Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to kind of say that in, in, in a way, the folk, the, the uh, students that this didn't work for kind of break down into two different areas. One is the what you've just been talking about those students who for whatever reason need something more like in-person uh, uh, learning and 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 just can't just can't do it on on a, on, a, on a device but the other group which this plan definitely addresses are those students who who couldn't participate because they didn't have the devices mm -hmm. so we are happy that the state of Connecticut is moving forward with a very large <clears throat> um, uh, uh, a very large um, movement towards getting the resources to uh, students who just didn't have devices. Uh, that was a, that, that, that's what happened in March. All of a sudden, boom, we were out of school and we didn't know who didn't have a device. We didn't know who didn't have internet access. So uh, this plan calls on us to make sure that we understand that. The State Department of Education has begun working along with the uh, Dalio Foundation and so forth to say, let's get those devices out there. Let's make sure that we can deliver high quality distance learning as we move forward, which we just weren't ready to do or able to do in too many districts across Connecticut. So we are we are hopeful that that as we look at this uh, these plans here, that we can kind of uh, make sure that we're uh, definitely reaching more students than we were able to reach in the last months of, um, of the last school year. But isn't it more than just whether someone has a laptop or a good internet in their home? When I was looking at your survey, Jeff, again, the CEA survey, and you said more than 16,000 of your members, when you um, asked them, you know, why do you think there was, uh, you know, not engagement? Uh, I think the number one um, answer from many of your members was uh, there wasn't enough uh, uh, parent support, but then also a lack of interest from the students. So how do you how do you get at that? Well, hopefully part of that is is answered by uh, by this work by by Columbia. Clearly, uh, we, we see that the, the move forward for at least as long as we have this pandemic, you know, attacking us. Uh, 
everybody's got to be more involved than they were before, including our teachers, by the way. And we get it. We, we know that teachers in the last few months of, um, of the school year were spending 10, 12 hours a day trying to connect with their students. Uh, and, 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 and we appreciate that and, and we applaud them for that. But parents, businesses, the community in general, we think they need to step up as well. We need to be imaginative about what we can do here. For example, the idea that we can provide spaces where there's some uh, adult supervision for students, but but perhaps they're receiving instruction still uh, distantly, but but have the help that they need, the in-person uh, help and so forth. That's very, very important, but but can't be done just by thinking about school teachers and, and, and school staff. Uh, so, uh, we need to reach out beyond where we've ever been before in terms of trying to make sure that 2021 is a successful school year for as many students as we can possibly uh, reach. You're hearing Jeff League, president of the Connecticut Education Association on Zoom. Elizabeth Chu is also here, executive director of the Center for Public Research and Leadership at Columbia University. So, Liz, uh, that same question uh, to you in terms of the guidance that your center is providing to help uh, parents as well as students stay engaged. Uh, does it relate to synchronous uh, ability to connect with their teachers and having them have that engagement there more regularly? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we were really excited about to propose in this plan, again, um, with the hopes that leaders are going to take it, download it, and make it work for them, is to propose that there is a schedule for elementary and secondary students that's put in place. Um, and that runs four to five hours, depending on the age each day, and that there would be a synchronous instruction component in each subject area every single day. Um, and this is something that we heard as a loud and clear call from educators and parents alike. Um, without that one-to-one, small group, whole group instruction and opportunities for peer collaboration, um, there's just too many barriers to engagement and not enough instruction coming from um, teachers who, who know how to do this work best. Um, we also uh, suggest a number of other supports to really build those strong family school partnerships, which are going to be crucial in the distance learning environment, even more so than they are in the brick and mortar environment. And so um, we recommend that as part of each educator's day, given that there's a shorter um, instructional day for students, there is protected time for family outreach and that each family is receiving a one-to-one synchronous meeting each week, previewing the week that is to come, talking about any questions or concerns that may have arisen, connecting over um, health and wellness issues and um, instructional challenges and providing feedback to the students and the parents. And so um, that's one support we offer. We suggest uh, weekly learning plans and have a template up online for folks who want to download that and make it right for their school district. We um, also in our, uh, in, in not the model plan that we put out, but in the set of um, planning guide steps that we suggest that districts are taking. We um, name a number of other supports that districts in Connecticut used this past year that were really effective. Um, hotlines, you know, help hotlines for homework issues, uh, for tech issues, um, coffee chats, uh, less formal ways of connecting with other people, spirit weeks, things that, um, things that are fun and get families engaged in brick and mortar environment um, are still so important in the distance learning environment and having some of that opportunity for the casual relationship building can be so mm -hmm. crucial as well.
You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. Beth's calling from Cheshire. Beth, you're on the show. Hi, um, I'm a teacher, a high school teacher, and uh, I have a student who's in high school. Um, I, I just feel like there seems to be nostalgia for in-person classes, and that's what people are looking for that will, you know, increase success in learning. Um, and I think that is really no more at this point. Teachers will be masked and hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Students will be masked as well, and, and if you do proper social distancing, you can't see the student's paper on their on their desk and you can't crouch to eye level like I often do to get that kind of connection. Um, so I think we're really hindered in that situation and actually it can cause more stress. Like if a student coughs, you know, or I cough, mm-hmm. everyone will be, you know, worried about it. Um, so I think I am, I compare that to in-person learning and being on Google meet where people can see my face and hear me clearly. And I can pull pin a kid and silence the rest and, really hear what they have to say. Um, so I think online learning was um, discredited in the spring more because it wasn't required. So I think if we give it a chance and give professional development to teachers, we would have a very different experience. Mm, great points, Beth. Uh, thank you for calling in. You can too, 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Martha's calling from Hamden. Martha, you're on the show. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I am a a faculty member at the Yale Program for Recovery and Community Health um, in the Department of Psychiatry at Yale Medical School. And the question I have concerns um, how to support school-based mental health within schools to support the the, uh, psychological and behavioral health needs of both students and staff as they uh, return to school in the fall, given that so many students will have experienced trauma on a a new level, both um, having to do with the pandemic and also having uh, to do with the the racist violence and um, the political situation in the spring. So I would be interested to hear from your guests how they think schools could approach school-based mental health um, from a distance learning perspective. Jeff Leak. So, so thankful that the, that caller brought that up because we know this is going to be a huge, huge issue as we uh, uh, reopen in whatever fashion we're going to reopen. So uh, it, one of the things that we've been calling for is the fact that we know that we're going to need more more resources, person resources, not just dollars, but person resources, i.e. Uh, social workers, school counselors. In, in many of our schools, not all of them, but in too many of our schools, we didn't have enough school counselors and social workers to deal with the situation before this virus. Uh, dur- after this, as we begin to you know, re- reopen, uh, clearly this is going to be a huge issue. Uh, and, and whether this needs to get done, I, I know of a school counselor in, down in the New London area, for example, she, she was doing home visits with some of her, her, her kids um, Distance learning, you know, she had on her mask and they stayed apart and so forth, but she made that connection uh, outside of outside of the school and so forth. We're going to have to look very carefully about how we can do this, because 
the social emotional needs of our students coming back in and teachers too, by the way, uh, and, and trauma informed instruction are going to be huge. We're offering for our, um, our members uh, in Connecticut and across New England, as a matter of fact, a series of, um, of uh, webinars on trauma informed uh, instruction, how to think about what students are dealing with, how to, how to, how to connect with them in ways that we haven't connected before. Uh, and then we're also uh, going to be, uh, uh, there's a big uh, idea to um, uh, open up some thoughts from Yale, as a matter of fact, about uh, social emotional learning as well. So Mark Brackett and, and his team at, at Yale. So this is going to be a huge need as we reopen schools in the fall and we gotta make sure we get this right. Samantha's calling from Southern Connecticut. Samantha, what's your question? Hi, um, hi. I'm calling because I appreciate the fact that now we're finally hearing for the first time about social-emotional engagement, but I'm really concerned about the lack of accountability up until this point of that engagement. For example, my children attend the wealthiest school district in the county, and they still only had teachers engage with them for one 30-minute session once a week. That's three children in three different grades. And the fact of the matter is that neither the administration nor the teachers would allow phone calls. Even the students were not allowed to email teachers. We had no idea where they were for the other 34 and a half hours a week. Um, and frankly, my children were left abandoned by the teachers and by the administration. And in response, we were told, well, they have their own children to look after. And that's not right to pit parents and families against those of the children of teachers. But I'd like to know what the union plans to do to hold teachers accountable going forward. Samantha, thank you for your question. Jeff Lee, how do you respond? So uh, I, I, I don't know what, what specifically uh, that caller is talking about. All I do know is, uh, and, and especially from our more well-resourced school districts, is that, uh, to my knowledge, both the school administration and, and teachers were doing uh, what, whatever they could to make this happen and to get out there and connect with students. Now, um, um, you know, <clears throat> a lot of different thoughts went into how to get through the last few months of, of last year. Uh, and, and in some cases, uh, we, we, uh, we were sitting down with school districts to say, let's plan this out. Let's make sure that everybody knows what their responsibilities are. Uh, <clears throat> let, let, let's hold uh, everyone accountable, both the school district and, and teachers and so forth. We were working with uh, folks on, on uh, what we call memorandums of understandings, meaning we want everyone to know what the expectations are how to meet those expectations and what supports can be given to teachers and students as we move forward. So uh, again, without this specifically knowing what this person, what district this person was talking about, um, I, I can only say in the, in the places that, that we were working with and will continue to work with, um, we wanted to get this right. And, and certainly what, what the caller described is, is not acceptable.
Liz, again, you're with the Columbia University Center for Public Research and Leadership coming up with guidelines, plans that districts can download to help think about what online learning could look like this fall and who knows, maybe in the spring. So when you hear from parents who are dissatisfied with the engagement this past spring, you know, everyone had to work on the fly. Now we have a school year ahead of us where people are thinking about what are ways to improve improve the way education was delivered and improve in communication, uh, maybe starting with this, these expectations early instead of thinking about, you know, how to fix it uh, come winter? Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And um, uh, one of the things that Sam brought up is actually where we started with our plan. Um, and you'll see that we started with a set of standards for what high quality equitable distance learning looked like and uh, planned backwards from that. And that is something that we heard from educators and from district leaders is that um, one of the things that they find helpful when facing complex decision-making is having an effective framework for making those decisions. And in traditional brick and mortar schooling, they have these types of tools available. They have a vision for what quality looks like. They have planning steps that help them uh, reach that vision. They have evaluation tools that help them know as they're going, uh, where are they doing well and where are they missing the mark? And so we do believe a reset on expectations is critical honoring the fact that um, there wasn't time to create those expectations and learn how to do everything, build the plane while flying it over the spring, there is that opportunity now. And our suggestion would be given um, the way that the virus is heading, unfortunately, across the country is that it is crucial for districts to figure out their distance learning model now. And for those who are bringing back their students um, for some days or for full time in person in the fall, district leaders might want to take the opportunity while students are in the building to implement distance learning, even with students who are in the building, um, maybe for partial uh, days or for full days to get those habits and routines and systems and knowledge about how to use um, the platforms and the learning management systems and the curricular materials um, while they have kids in, 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 in house so that there's less whiplash when you have to transition back and forth between distance learning and in-person schooling because um, just all signs are pointing that it is going to be um, a component of the school year to come. You're hearing Elizabeth Chu, Executive Director of the Center for Public Research and Leadership at Columbia University. Also, Jeff Leake is here, President of the Connecticut Education Association. We'll be back right after a short break. This is where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Today we've been focusing on how schools could reopen and how distance learning should look uh, this coming school year. We're going to continue this conversation. On Thursday, I'm going to host a a conversation again looking at is school safe? It'll be on CPTV and simulcast on WNPR at 8 p.m. We hope you can join us. Now, my guest today on Where We Live, Elizabeth Chu, Executive Director of the Center for Public Research and Leadership at Columbia Law School. Also, Jeff Leake is here, president of the Connecticut Education Association. That's the largest teachers union in Connecticut. Uh, Jocelyn is a student calling in. Jocelyn, what's your question for our guests? Hello. Um, I'm Jocelyn. My question is, when we do go back into school, how are um, flyer drills and lockdown drills going to work? 
because um, we've, they've always stressed how important it is, and I just don't know. Mm. Jocelyn, a good question. Jeff Lee, how do you respond? Uh, that's a question that we have as well. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's, I, I don't have an answer for that one, but it's been asked by so many of our members uh, saying, you know what, uh, you know, you, the, the, the point of these drills is to get kids out of school as fast as possible, meaning they're going to be right on top of one another. Uh, and then once they're outside, they have to be pretty close because some uh, schools don't have a lot of space to kind of spread out and so forth. So it's, it's a question that, that we have as well uh, that to our knowledge has not been answered uh, uh, the way that gives any comfort to our, to our educators and or our students. So, uh, you know, it's something I think that the, the state of Connecticut needs to look at and say, okay, how are we going to do this? And, and so forth. Again, it's one of the reasons that we just don't think it's, it's, it's even remotely possible to get all students back in school at the same time. And, and I want to just emphasize too, while I have a moment here, uh, what Elizabeth was saying about, uh, we think the best opportunity for us over the next few weeks is to spend almost all of our time saying, how can we get distance learning to work the best for all students? Totally agree with her on the idea that even if we do get kids back in school uh, for a while, uh, we, we should be focusing on how to make this work the best because until and even after uh, there's a, a vaccine for this, um, we're probably gonna have to do some distance learning. We know it's not the best form of education that we could possibly provide, but given the pandemic we're in right now, uh, it's a reality and we have to get it uh, right. And just to reiterate before we have to end the show, Jeff, earlier you said that the CEA um, had been open to looking at whether there'd be a hybrid model for schools and your members uh, come a few weeks from now. But now you're you're thinking that you may have to back off of even that uh, recommendation, looking at, at some of the research and the way that cases are spiking around our country. So, so I, I don't want to make any announcement at this time because um, it, it, it's right now uh, we're still examining all the information that we can get our hands on and all the advice that's being given from not only uh, across the United States, but but across the uh, across the world. Uh, so uh, we are going to take a look at that. And, and I and I would just say, you know, based on based on the car caravans that we held last Thursday, the concern of our educators is the same. Is this the most safe that we can be as we move forward? And if not, how can we still do our job, connect with our students and provide social emotional support mm. and learning as well? We'll have to leave it there. Jeff League, president of the Connecticut Education Association. Also, Elizabeth Chu with the Center for Public Research and Leadership at Columbia. Thank you. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.